Hello listeners and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast. Bit of a strange one today because we're going to be talking about a load of random crap no one's probably going to follow along with or understand. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it makes perfect sense to us. (laughs) So, textiles magic meets planetary magic. Now let's dispense with the basic crap where we make poppets and such and let's talk about proper craft proper craftsmanship now we have an expert textolian what's what do you call an expert in textiles <laughs> a textiles expert textolian we have an expert textolian <laughs> and we have a bristolian yes so we're going to talk about textiles magic. Okay. So, I've noticed, right, it's a funny thing that I noticed a couple of centuries ago, and that is that all of the really old school forms of witchcraft and magic, in this planet anyway, we're talking about her, <laughs> um, a lot of it, there's a lot of magic within textiles. It's a very old thing, isn't it, textiles? And I think it's a very underestimated thing. Now, I'm no good with textiles and I have no interest in it whatsoever, but I do have an appreciation for the art and I do see the magic in it. To take tiny little fibres and turn them into something actually tangible that you can wear and infused with magic. The male effort that goes into handmade textiles is magic in itself. I mean, when it comes to looking at someone like yourself when you've done weaving and stuff like that, and you talk about weaving spells, and you think the hours that it takes for you to make something and concentrate on that thing, ignoring any magical timings and never influences and such but just the actual time it takes for you to craft something and then use it for magic compared to the person that goes and buys a poppet from our shop (laughs) and stuffs it in two minutes or buys a candle if you're a hoodoo expert and by expert i mean bought several books on hoodoo and bought several oils from a hoodoo practitioner shop and bought several candles where half of the stuff's done already for you and you've just really got to open the can and use it i don't see this that much the actual real beauty of craftsmanship within magic what what have you got to say about that am i right am i wrong am i not picking up on something is textiles really magical at its core well the thing is i suppose it depends on how you look at it really i just i think any craft can be applied magically um i think what's special about textiles is that it's worn so close to your body so i think part of the fact is it's you know people don't think of clothes as art you wear um every day whereas actually probably that's what they should be thinking so now goes slightly fashionista for too many people, but it is just the fact that, you know, this is this is the one item because most of us don't walk around naked since Adam and Eve. So you kind of, uh, you know, the, the fact that you wear clothes every day and it's things that you can't live without um, is seems to 
Unless you're unless you're a gardener. Well, yeah, so it seems kind of lost on a lot of people. And when you think the time and effort that goes into people, uh, you know, the production of clothes in as a world business, um, now at the point of you know fast fashion, and I won't get all political and eco about it, but just kind of like you know the fact that that spends the most time closest to you than anything else that you use in your day to life you know yes you use the bathroom and you use the you know toilet and the toothbrush all those things have to be there but well you know you can just have a wee in the shower that saves all (laughs) you're dressed you're dressed in these things all day long uh, which is kind of why you know we often i often suggest making poppets out of X's underwear and stuff like that is the easiest way to make sure it's well and truly imbued with the energy of the person you're trying to punish. But the um, when you go to that next level where you're saying, do you know what, I'm actually going to make the cloth or the part of it itself. Um, you go into that next level and you can kind of add all sorts of mythology in there, can't you, with the the, the nerns or the, the norns or the... Uh, the Morai, um, all these kinds of um, ancient spinners of prophecy, um, you know, spinning the web of your life. Um, you know, there is that kind of, and it is interesting because particularly with the Greek words, and again, I won't go off too much on a tangent, but, you know, the roots of the words are, uh, you know, you use weaving terminology every day in most of the words and colloquialisms that you use, you know, how we, uh, you know, weave a story or we um, spin a tale or any of those, even making ends meet. These phrases are all in your life every day um, and they're all textile words, you know, so it is innately part of who we are as human beings, um, you know, hunter gathering and we clothe those those are kind of you know killing things and dressing ourselves are kind of the cause of what make ourselves us us but um so yeah so i think it's obvious that those sorts of things should happen also like i say the the process of creating anything is going to have an innately magical quality to it the same if you're a blacksmith or a, a woodworker the only difference is textiles are in every part of your life. So, you know, from your bed clothes to the car that you drive, you know, um, every part of the flame retardant uh, fabrics that you're sat on, that if the car goes up in flames will probably last better than you will. Um, or, you know, the uh, sutures that are used in hop- in operating theatres, all of its all of its textiles in some way, shape or form. And I don't I think it's kind of lost on a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it is there. So magical yarns make sense to me. Yeah. Textiles has been something that's been super important very early on in human civilization and for humans. And as has the sky and the stars and the planets. So you look at really ancient forms of magic. There's a lot of looking at the sky and assigning meanings in deities and spirits and stuff to planets and also a lot of the most powerful goddesses and stuff like that that you look through from ancient cultures also have 
you know, they're to do with textiles a lot of the time as well, you'll see. Um, so let's marry these two things together. So if we're looking at common threads, <laughs> huh, see what I did? Common threads between different magical culture, well, cultures in general, because every culture really has some degree of magic in it. You've got universal principles that you can see displayed. This is all that good that they don't tell you about, that they generally... You know, you get all of these books and things like that that drag a massive great book on, only to turn around and say, well, this is the common ground that everyone shares, <laughs> the universal truth. Let's discuss something like that okay. now. We'll see where this goes. So we've got everyone looking at and assigning meanings to planets and things like that. You've got the ideas of things like representational magic, which comes up a lot. Now, tying all these things together... No matter where you go in the world, it seems like all of these energies and things, they're there, you find them there. Even if these cultures haven't necessarily seen, you know, or met each other, they still have the same energies assigned to them. You see them the same, they're still using them, that kind of thing. Although technology may progress in certain directions in other cultures as opposed to certain ones, you know, is one of those things. So what is up with that? That's what people seem to want to know. I mean, if you ask a certain person, they'll say, well, I don't know what the question was, but the answer is always aliens. <laughs> if you speak to other people, they'll say, well, the gods and goddesses of, you know, Adam and Eve and all that kind of stuff. The gods said, oh, well, we've taught you this. This is what you do. And everyone just comes from Adam and Eve. And if Adam and Eve knew it, then their descendants, you know, taught it to them more and more descendants so on and so forth what have you and then you've got the other people that's kind of like well all of these people actually do talk to each other and you know pangea and all that stuff <laughs> so i don't know what where are we standing on this what what goes on with all of this because you see an evolution certainly when it comes to technology you don't well you? i actually tried to explain uh, this but it's not so much a straight line it's not a straight line is it it goes up and down people invent certain technologies and then lose the information and the knowledge only to be found later. Yeah, I tried to explain this to a mundane this morning. Okay. Um, it it went quite successfully, I think. Um, but yeah, I actually... What did you say? There aren't really little people in the television? <laughs> Is that what it was? No, it wasn't quite that basic. But essentially... Essentially, I tried to break down the universe into streams of energy and explain that, and this will be controversial for some people, hopefully none of the ones listening, but you know, um, that applying, <laughs> I was trying, to, whether or not you'll correct me or not will be interesting here. So I, I tried, okay. I tried to explain that how all cultures technically have it right. What they'd fail to understand uh, in a lot of senses is that they're all talking to the same energy streams. It just wears a different face when it, approach, when it approaches them. So I was trying to explain how all these Christian. I can't think how we got onto it, actually. I think we were talking about how bad the church was. and uh, But, you know, never mind. Um, 
but we got... This isn't that person that's been drinking, uh, offering blood up, is it? No, 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 no. Because I know there's quite a few people on the books at the moment that are going through this process. No, this is this is a the, true um, mundane. You learn the periodic <laughs> table. You you learn the per periodic table in science, and then you've got to learn the energetic periodic table in magic. Yeah. So no, this uh, this, this, this was, was complete. It's a complete mundane who has no no real use for magic whatsoever. Has never never really touched upon it. Um, I'm trying to think if she's even actually done one of my classes. I don't think she has. Um, so you see, yeah, so this is a complete mundane that somehow we ended up on this path talking about it. I may have, I may have been oversharing, I don't know, um, about my true self, but that, that was, uh, anyway, we ended up with this discussion about energy and, uh, gods and goddesses and me trying to explain that in very loose terms, depending on what part of the world you're in. Because, um, oh, we were talking about death. That's what it was. We were talking, she was asking questions about why um, the Victorians were so prudish. And then I think I went on a long oh, rant. Okay. I think that's what happened. Anyway, so the so I was trying to explain that it's all the same energy stream and that obviously to, to the Mexicans, for example, Santa Muerte may appear to them. Uh, but then to a Greek person, maybe they would have Hades or Persephone or if um, parts of the kind of Romanesque might have Hecate. And actually that the actual presence of said energy um, is just the face it was wearing at the time in order for uh, our very simple human minds to comprehend uh, rather than necessarily um that these all exist separately so i was trying to obviously they do and i'm not going to go into the complications of that but the fact that they all exist within the same energy stream and that you could break down the universe into these en energy streams um and the controversial bit was obviously where i hashtag planetary magic. yeah where i was <laughs> whereas i was referring to obviously the god as just another one of these solar entities um and you could oh, so a lesser one so then. you could line you could line <laughs> one up with say apollo or helios or you know um, so basically you upset someone by saying jesus <laughs> is apollo basically not even that i got same as far as saying, solar story <laughs> same old solar story over and over again um but i was explaining kind of like you would understand that uh, I was trying to explain that in that moment of you being approached by someone like Apollo, how it would appear to you would have to fit within your paradigm and within your understanding. And therefore, that would appear completely different to me. Apollo would appear completely different to me than he would to you, um, dependent on your reality, your understanding and your paradigm specifically. Um, and talking about energy streams that uh, govern construction and creation. And then her head exploded and um, I cleaned up the mess and then I walked back home. OK. I would agree in principle but what I would say is I think that it gets a little bit more complicated than that the more you delve into the yeah, story like with anything. I think that the problem with this sort of thing, because we don't know who's listening, 
or we have a rough idea of who's listening, but at the same time, there's a lot of unknowns out there. If you talk to someone at their level, but taking someone from talking about and having a conversation now, we've got to take it from a super basic to a slightly more advanced. So I would say that, yes, all of these energies and things like that, I'd think of a periodic table as pure, trying to go as pure as possible to specific energies. But then at the same time, you blend much yeah. like with textiles, you can blend things together that then become an extra energy. So normally I try to teach people in a practical way. So it's what are the practical energies, the practical, pure energies that you as a human can relate to and are useful. Um, normally I'd break it down in terms of planets because planetary magic is a really, really easy thing to research. Very much And so. then what, what, comes out of those currents so the death current the personification of the death current what comes out of that to you how does the death current want to manifest to you in terms of sentience so having a sentient conversation with it how does that come out and then also you've got the fact that if you're blending these currents together it goes back to the old kind of family tree, I suppose, of gods and pantheons and stuff like that, yeah. which you've got the older generation, then you've got the newer generation, then you've got the current generation, which is basically the ones that people consider to be gods and goddesses. So yeah. whether it's kind of like the um, the Titans and all of that kind of thing, and then you've got the Olympics later, you've kind of got generations there, I suppose, in terms of purity of energies. But then at the same time, you've got blendings of their children as well. So if you've got a blend between one energy and another, and when you talk to most things, the, the closer it is to physical world and the, the lower vibration, I suppose you might say, um, the entity or spirit is, the more you'll find it is comprised of multiple energies. So when you take a person, you're going to find that they have, or anything physical, essentially, you're going to find that they have all of these energies in abundance. The further you go deep down, you'll find that if you get involved with the certainly what we call dissection, I suppose, of spirits, and yeah. the taking apart and understanding how spirits work, you then start to see differences. But that's not a practice that gets talked about a lot in everyday no. magic. And that's not something you see everyday magical practitioners. I've said time and time again to people, well, okay, you've been working with this goddess. What is this goddess comprised of? Well, I don't know. She's a goddess. She's an all-powerful goddess. Like, okay, what's she made of? <laughs> yeah. how, did, how did she interact? You know, that kind of thing. What is it comprised of? And you'll see that... These things are a mix of different energies. And then you'll find that certain things are actually predominantly one energy. And then other things further up the food chain or hierarchy, as you might probably think of it from a human perspective, they're more pure. So they're only within one energetic current, essentially. And then we go beyond that as well. So it's a complicated thing. But if we look at it from a because we've kind of started looking at it from working with spirits 
if we take that and look here from a secular perspective and more of a scientific perspective and just talking about energy currency, ignore all the gods and goddesses and that kind of thing, and just put it blip as a basic, okay, you've heard of the periodic table in school of things that, you know, objects and stuff in the universe are made out of. Well, what if there, oh, I was to tell you there is a magical energetic periodic table, what would that look like? So, you know, what does that look like to you? I'd be interested. Well, or how would you teach it? These days, obviously, I move slightly more towards um, the more experience I've had with it re in recent years. Um, I found that the kind of with the tree of life is a good method. <gasps> you mean you're copying me? You're copying yeah, the way I teach people. <laughs> because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have occurred to me before meeting you to do it that way. But then I don't think I don't I don't try to strip something back to its elemental form. So it, its space on the periodic table for me wouldn't be that for lack of a better word, basic. So I would yeah. happily be working with them in their blends, understanding exactly yeah. what they were. So I would have probably done something far more complicated <laughs> and approached them through emotion. Um, so I would have broken every one, every single one down into um, an emotional energy level or what I wouldn't call, which would complicate things for most people, taste. Um so based and I would what say they taste like. I would base everything on what they taste like, which obviously to me makes total sense. Um, and we would probably, because most of the people that I'm training or working with are human, they would understand uh, emotional levels and emotional quantification. Whereas that actually... Unless they're a sociopath, <laughs> like in which me. case, <laughs> in which case, uh, something like the Kabbalah Tree of Life would actually make a lot more sense. Um, so actually, the more I've, uh, the more I've worked with it over the last couple of years, um, it's made more and more sense to me as a methodology. It doesn't mean that I've left my old methodology behind, um, but there are certain types of clients and mentees that. Mm. that approach really works well it's because of the culture we live in i mean we live in predominantly in the west secular culture scientific reductionist science which basically starts at the basics and then works up whereas we're in the magical community used to working from the top down so to yeah. try and add complexity is literally like we're almost doing essentially like science back in this is an atom and yes. then underneath an atom to this and above an atom when you join bunches of atoms together you get this yeah. you know that kind of thing we try to take it from that perspective because i think that that's how the mind works for most western people now because they've been through the education system and that's what it's like um so essentially you're talking about a system of understanding the universe an almost complete system or possibly an actual complete system of magical practice for a human yes so with that you'd essentially get to understand how everything works and technically how to manipulate and change everything which there is a danger to 
But there's control mechanisms for such things, isn't there? Well, yes. But we've talked about, obviously, yeah, we've talked about what you would do with this. Because obviously, as most people know, we run a witchcraft shop and we do create products. Most products that we've come to talk about now, the conversation has been, can we get away with actually releasing that so some random people's allowed to buy that? Is that too dangerous? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like from actual practitioners that understand the implications of the object, then that's fair enough. But a lot of the time it's a case of you're putting your own power behind this and using your knowledge to cheat the system to make a tool that interacts with the universe on a way and on a level that's beyond the scope of most people. And you're making that a tool, therefore it's easy to use, you know. It's basically a, here, I've made a gun now. You don't need to learn how swords work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just point but it, and shoot. But at the, at the same time, I think we always approach a new product by looking at it, at it that way. So with the magical yarns, for example, I make them in a way that makes sure that it's not my energy going in. And actually, it's just the purest, uh, the purer version of that as I can possibly do without having an impact. So drawing it in in that's, order to capture. That's talismanic magic, basically, isn't it? When you're yeah. creating talismans, you've made talismanic yarns. For those that don't really know what a talisman, you're talking about creation of an object or a thing that retains a certain energy, a specific energy, current, vibration, whatever it is, that's created for that purpose. Now, the real thing that people struggle with, because you're used to books on ceremonial magic and things, probably saying, create this talisman of this, create this talisman of that, when they get a superficial, I think, idea of what what does that energy do? Mars, what does Mars do? Well, I suppose it's good and destructive, so I suppose I'll use it for destroying my enemies or protection or something like that. But what they struggle with is the combination and the crazy things you can do with combining those energies together. So if you're talking about creating a talisman of talismans, and not a talisman of talismans like Lord of the Rings, one one ring to rule them all, you're talking about blending energies together to create something else, something, you know, um, more specific. This is being used over multiple energies. I know when we do talismans or when we've, I've done talisman classes and stuff like that, I tend to stick to pure energy forms that people are used to yes. um, and can research and stuff. But actually the implications of tying these energies together can explode in people's faces more so than in the actual pure energy forms. Because yeah. the, at one point you're talking about in chemistry, okay, I've got some dangerous chemical, but at least I know that's a dangerous chemical. But what happens if I mix a dangerous chemical with some unknown chemical I don't really understand? Oh, it blew up in my face, you know? It's fascinating and fun, but there's a danger to it. But yeah, your planetary yarns, why don't you talk us through that? Because we've got about two minutes before the main <laughs> podcast ends, and then we'll start to talk about... Um, binding Saturn to a, uh, what was it you were saying, <laughs> one of those hourglasses and stuff like yeah. that. Because I've got a lovely picture that goes with that <laughs> that so, I found the other day. So yeah, so for those, it's a case of, okay, so they're created in a way, 
and there's there's YouTube videos and, and stuff about it. So it's not like you're relying purely on this if you are interested. But um, it is a case of, for me, um, so spinning and plying a yarn of multiple, um, multiple lengths combined together um, allows allows me to create a yarn that you could then use in the way that they are constructive constructed rather um, allow allow me to put the energy in without getting involved so I can draw the energy in put the energy into a specific thread then bind them together and allow you to use that in any way you like so the nice thing about it is most people would get stuck going, oh, well, if I wanted to make a magical hat and knit myself a magical hat, I would need to actually use a hell of a lot of it. And the fact is, no, actually, the idea is that you can add that small programmer, shall we say, to to a larger piece. So it might be that actually you use that thread in order to sew a button on or if you were to put a, a, a sigil, um, stitch a sigil on the inside lining of something could be done with these planetary yarns in order to actually add that energy or program the greater, the greater being of that, that work. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a weaver yourself or a knitter or some kind of crafter in order to use them. What it might be is that you just simply use, replace the cord that you were going to close that bag or grigri with, um, with this yarn instead, and therefore imbuing it with the energy of that particular planetary alignment. There you go. Yeah, so essentially you're talking about it is a battery of a very specific type of power. Now, unfortunately, we are now out of time for the regular podcast, but we will continue on for the Patreon. So here we go. So, okay, I've got a question now. So when it comes to the designing of pulling together these things and the dangers of it, because specifically if you're talking about the pure energy, so you've some of you may have seen the video of when Chris actually spun the Saturnine yarn. So when he created yeah. the Saturn yarns, you've got Saturn, you've got something very powerful there. Um, powerful energy, constriction, death, all of that kind of thing, mastery of that. And then you're giving that battery to someone. Essentially, it's an open portal battery of that energy they you don't program that that's just literally the talisman it retains that energy yeah the person that buys that or uses that after you've given it to them they then need to be able to understand how to actually use that effectively yeah. so they need to understand how to use that power now in terms of do you see there any danger with giving that to someone who doesn't really understand anything to do with Saturn and is a complete beginner and can't even begin to understand how to even read the wall to understand its energy patterns and stuff like that? They just want to take it and wrap it round a dolly because uh, they think sympathetic I don't, magic. I don't think it's a problem because at the end of the day, it comes down to being able to utilise anything. So just because I've got a really powerful computer does not mean I can use it efficiently. 
I've just, you know, single digit my way through life on it, like grandma does. Um, and I'm still going to end up with whatever. The danger is that obviously if you don't have decent firewalls, then obviously it's an open an open energy towards uh, towards that. So you probably should be worried about firewalling uh, or as uh, more appropriately called warding um, if you're going to mess with certain mm. things. But actually the fact of having that core energy source just means that it's in its, its purest form as I possibly could create for them. Actually what they do with it and how they utilise it is entirely down to them. Um, I make sure, and that's the important bit for me, is I make sure I have as little influence in actually putting any part of me into that working while I'm doing it, um, because that would be what I would consider to be careless. Um, if I'm adding my own energies into the work, that is the bit that I'm, I'm paramount that must be out of. Um, and if you're putting something too specific to Saturn as yeah. well, I suppose. Whereas um, all I'm doing is I've catching what's there freely. Yeah, I've I've used some of your yarns now at this point. So I've used bits and pieces. I haven't used all of the planets, but I've used some of them. And I've noticed that um, from a safety perspective, it is quite a safe working because they act more, I feel, like straws. As in you actually have to go... When you're getting your McDonald's thick shake, you've got to suck the energy through the straw. Yeah. It doesn't leak. Now, some no. energies and things, you pe pe practitioners will make them. And I would say some al am amulets are a little bit like this, particularly, is they just put out energy. They're kind of, They're kind like, of radioactive. Um, yeah, exactly. It's kind of like radioactive. So as long as you've so got a Geiger counter about, you can see where they are. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the danger is that you're immersing yourself within the energy. But I found with your ones, and I don't know whether this is just because of the way that they're made or just because it's, it's kind of textiles magic. So it's literally a case of there's a very fine mesh between this and the energy itself. And it's not flooding through. It's a case of you utilising it, which is why I was quite impressed with it and why I started working it into my own practice is that of course you're selling little doorways little things that people can take and people can use that so if you were going to create something and sew it into a coat or a bag or something like that you might use um i don't know uh mars or something like that for something destructive and protective and that kind of thing but at the same time you can then program it later you can utilize it that's just the uh what is it like warp core or generator that's yeah. at the heart of the work you've yeah. just made little batteries and generators that give off a specific type of energy and i don't want to say give off because they need to be pulled through i think yeah and i think that's a good safety mechanism when it comes to if you did give the person this saturnine wall yarn <laughs> and they're just wrapping it around these dolls and things like that. I do think that actually, I don't see that being much more different than just general sympathetic magic, because I'm not sure whether that person would be capable of pulling the energy through or not. No. no. So, yeah. But I, I think, like I said, the, the most important part for me is always, because you know how I have to kind of safeguard everything, um, 
is is uh, is exactly that. It was a case of trying to find a method that made total sense, um, that would have as I would influence as little as possible. Um, so you know, while I'm working, it is kind of quiet meditation time where I'm pretty much switched off um, and trying to be as switched off as possible while producing mm. them because, the, the, you know, um, I don't want to have programmed them in any way. It's the, it is totally about the fact that it should be a pure energy um, combination there as, as openly as possible. So, you know, not specifically, say, with the satin yarn, I don't want to make it particularly about time or be particularly about restriction or any of the other words that you could kind of tie, tie from that energy stream. So it's purely going, this is Saturn rather than this is Saturn as this or Saturn as that or, um, you know, this combination or my understanding of Saturn rather than any of those. It is I want Saturn in here for them to do with whatever they wish because the the only part because the you know as a product i equally want that for that person is this is you know a should we say a pre pre-charged in the sense that it's there um and is potentially a pull cord for them to pull on through saturn if they're capable of doing it or whatever yarn you've particularly got. You mean pulling the thread? <laughs> yeah. So it should be, it's connected to, at the other end to that planetary alignment. Um, but actually, unless you've got the ability to pull it through, uh, you're only going to get what you're capable of doing with it. Um, mm. But that's me just being the overcautious self that is always kind of questioning still as to what weapons we put out into the world um so which i think i did an all right job the ones that be more I, interesting I, I really like them the they ones that, really the ones that be more interesting is when people get their hands on the bast fibers uh, and by that i mean yeah. kind of vegetable fibers etc non non-animal fibers because those are blended those aren't in necessarily core core flavors shall we say they are blended in what is appropriate for that so well or shall i say what i consider appropriate aligning for them so i'm trying to think of a good example uh what did i do well, in terms of taking and because obviously you're talking about as well you're talking about doing the blends yourself because you've already talked about taking those core planetary yarns and then weaving several ones of those together or utilizing several of those together and blending the energies together so you're not just talking about creating a product that utilizes one specific energy you're talking about an actual specific product that utilizes at its core different energies yeah. you know which is I think from what you're saying when it came to talking about the triangle of manifestation yarns and things like that, that still is something that 
really a practitioner is going to need to know how to use yeah. in order to do something, I think. Now, the danger really is when you've talked about, I think, magical objects, when you've talked about the creation of magical objects, because you can create magical objects and use these things that you're making to help you create the magical objects, so have them at the core powering the objects. But at the same time with magical objects, they are technology at the end of the day. So technology is designed to make it easier for someone. So in terms of what ideas have you got going forward for the creation of magical objects that utilize textiles perhaps in them or planets in them? Oh, you mean you mean when we start to complicate matters beyond? So maybe when we put some kind of uh, web of truth or something like that into an object. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are there are some very interesting ideas I want to play with there. Um, whether or not they become a general release item or if they become more of a teaching tool would be quite different. I think it really depends on what we decide to do with some of them. Um, but yeah, there are ways that we could apply the threads into basically making a, a, a miniature loom of destiny kind of um, ongoing, mm. uh, you know, to you could power, shall we say, a object that could allow somebody to look at their entire lineage um through uh through a tapestry essentially um of uh, planetary yarns that are combined in a way that would be appropriate yeah or yeah you're talking about creating a slightly more higher level complex object with a considerable amount of power now it's not too dissimilar to what you were saying about the um old lady having a, a supercomputer. The difference is, of course, is if you know how to use a supercomputer, not only can you use it effectively, but you can take that supercomputer apart and use the component parts as well. Yeah, exactly. So some of these things is very, quite interesting in the fact that the amount of effort that goes into creating the component parts that have multiple uses for some of these objects um, with someone with, you know, the knowledge and the ability, you're literally talking about, you know, very, very interesting. Because some people collect things to take them apart, don't they? Or computers yeah. and that you take something, take it apart and then create a bomb out of it or something. I don't know. But the, <laughs> the equivalent is that not only that you've got creating a magical object that's quite specific to its use, but the component parts can be rejigged about like a utility tool um pen knife has got lots of multiple applications within it but obviously you'd need to understand how those components work to utilize those exactly so when would when did you come up with the hourglass idea because you only said that to me today i think oh yeah um, but that kind of goes off the um off the grounds of uh textile specifically but kind of thinking about uh, creating core objects that embody the energy of of one of those planets specifically. Um, so whether or not that would actually have any kind of powering 
in there with the magical yarns would be separate. I don't know. Um, well, you could potentially. But you use could that as its core. you could use its core in order to do it, um, depending on what you know. There is nothing stopping you essentially taking one of these yarns, um, then wrapping it in uh, clay, for example, um, in those kind of sausages, and kind of make a coiled pot entirely that has a a core going all the way through it of a saturnine energy source then therefore you've got a vase that actually has is a is a entire vessel designed purely for capturing uh, saturnine energy um you know when you start to apply it in that sort of way and going on well, actually yes it's a textile but that doesn't mean you have to use it to make another textile um mm. you know there is there are lots like of dragons ways. dragon's heart string in the harry potter magic ones they've all got cores haven't they they make yeah. magic work you're talking about using a magical object or talisman that is that saturnine yarn and then utilizing that as a core to power an object yeah but at the same time if you take that and say okay i could make that object with that power utilizing the magical yarn but also the creativity comes in with not just creativity but the knowledge to be able to back it up from a magical perspective that okay i'm not going to use a planetary yarn what i'm going to do is create the magic that's going to be utilized is going to be the actual sand inside it that i'm going to comprise yeah. a i don't know saturnine um sand made from graveyard dirt and various other bits and pieces yeah that would be the core at the magical object but you could have those two they both do the same thing but it's your creative approach to taking that and i don't know i think it's maybe because of the spell books and stuff like that that most people are too reliant on well what's what's everyone else doing or what historically do we do when you look at the gods and the goddesses they a lot of them in mythology have their magical objects don't they yeah and they very often not necessarily been they're associated with certain deities and spirits and that but they haven't necessarily been made by those deities and spirits. no they're often made by another deity in order for them yeah. to be gifted to them a master craft there is always a master craftsman involved in some way shape or form um and that's that's the that's kind of what's so interesting about it when you start, uh, which I think is why going back to the kind of methodology of using the planetary system um, for designing work really has that beauty of taking someone from first steps. Yeah. Yeah. To creating something like that in the sense that they're kind of just working in those core energies and then slowly blending them up until they get to what they want. Like you were talking the other day about a master chord. Uh, with you know mm. pushing pushing my triangles to a new a new level um how you many... might want to explain the triangles actually because i don't <laughs> think we've covered that on the no, podcast I don't at think all we did. they'll be like what are you talking about triangles <laughs> so um so yeah so we were talking about kind of the the one triangle most people are particularly used to if they've gone from a kind of um alchemical or cabalic route uh, of studying the um the tree of life or in the goetia i think in the triangle yeah. of manifestation 
that little triangle you're supposed to draw on the floor and um, evoke the goetic spirit into, and apparently you can't leave that triangle, but good luck with that. Because <laughs> it's not actually the triangle that actually has the power, it's no. what the triangle represents, but never mind, we'll leave that to a different podcast. Definitely. Well, I think we've got several that's why your magic's not working. on goetics. But yeah, yeah. That's why their magic don't work properly. So kind of understanding <laughs> but, those cores um, as kind of pushing me to try newer things um, in a in a methodology I'm I'm not I, I'm only recently used to, um, but definitely one of those that if you have got some learning behind you could probably utilise very quickly. Um, so you know me coming back at it as not as a beginner and looking at it from that kind of basic methodology has meant it's just kind of like duck to water kind of situation where it just makes logical sense um in a kind of <laughs> i think i said something to you once i think kind of along the lines of how come i never approached it this way before like it was just it's so at first it was so alien um, and then once you'd kind of... We all get stuck in our ways of working, though. That's the problem. Right. We get ways of working that are very, very, very good for us individually. The perfect way for us to to work on an individual basis. But then taking someone else and trying to have a conversation with them, particularly a beginner, you've got to really kind of break it down and say, well, actually, you're going to get off better or you're going to get better by doing it this way. And it is annoying because you kind of do want to say, oh, just do it the way I do it. But at the same time, people don't. That's the problem with magical traditions, though, isn't it? I mean, these yeah. magical traditions and religions, it's like, well, I don't really get on with that one. or I don't really get on with this one. And very often the practitioner can't teach another system other than the one that they've learned yes. and been taught. That's the problem. Yeah. That's really what what shows a really good practitioner is the fact that you could say well i'll take wicca and i'll tell you how that works i'll take kumbanda and i'll tell you how that works and i'll take this system with some hermetic order of the golden dawn initiation ring i'll break it <laughs> yeah. apart and explain how that works because they understand the energies involved it's not just a i just do what the book says and i when i say do what the book says i mean the flow chart what are your symptoms? Oh, this is the result <laughs> type thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so what about the triangle of manifestation then? So Let's triangle manifestation. We'll, we'll get more advanced. Okay. Well, we don't have much time, but I'm sure we can kind of cover the basics. We can go over an hour. So go over an hour. So yeah. So um, triangle of manifestation. So a combination of lunar energy along with um. Venus and Mercury in that kind of balanced first first basis of the astral realm is probably how I think of it as whether or not that's how your mapping works but that kind of I'll explain the so if you explain the witch's perspective I'll explain the ceremonial magician's perspective yeah that's probably a good way to and do it and then they can compare and contrast them okay so yeah so I would I would take that as the kind of astral so the um the realm closest to our physical realm um and that that kind of balance of manifestation that kind of as above so below situation where you cause a manifestation in at that level and then it filters down into 
the material world so or the you know earthly realm so that's kind of how i would process manifestation um in that your turn yeah so essentially triangles of manifestation you see all this geometry and sacred geometry a lot in ceremonial magic and all the what they call the high magic, the people with big egos and such that like to overcomplicate the matters. Essentially what you're talking about with a triangle of manifestation, you're talking about the principles that need to be in play in order to make something manifest from a magical perspective. Now, as when we talk, we normally talk about how do spells work? And we've spent loads of time breaking down spells and talking about how they individually work. But from a triangle of manifestation perspective you're talking about okay how can something manifest magically on the earth and cause an effect you've got your three energies that we would say or a magician would say you should utilize all three of those because all three of those together will definitely get you your result however technically when you're look, looking at um non-magical folk that are able to make magic work they're often utilizing one or two of the three and not three altogether what does that mean so let's give you an example so psychics who are just psychics and not witches and don't utilize the energy they work on the lunar path the house of the moon psychic work that kind of thing they see and interact with the astral world when you're talking about the scientists and you're talking about um, the old fashioned ceremonial magician and all of their invocation and words of power. Well, what is that? That's mercury communication, um, the intellect, that kind of thing. Well, that's another way of doing it. The separate. What about Venus? Well, what about the artist, that person that channels magical power through their work and creates amazing artwork whether it's paintings or various different forms well that's another way of doing it so if you're talking about creating of a magical object or a spell that involves those three component parts all together harmoniously you're talking about the creation of magical rituals or objects so if you break apart a ritual you might think well where's where is the mercurial part of this well the spoken word yeah. of course that invocation that you're using. Well, where's the Venusian side of things? Well, all of that altar space, the beauty the of the altar space and the crafted candles and various other magical objects that you're using, that's the, that comes from the Venus, the power of Venus. When you're talking about the astral stuff and the actual spirits itself and the perception of it, then you're talking about the lunar. So you're talking about all those frees be those free energies being utilized together. Now we cheat and don't often do that. We just utilize one or two um, just because the pathway's strong. But from a beginner, you're talking about for success and making it successful, how would you do that? Now I could say to Chris, can you go and teach someone, a brand new person, how spells work and he can go away and do that you he could also teach the actual theory behind how spells work so that they get an idea of how to replicate it and change it but at the same time what if you then no longer have that tuition you don't have the person teaching you how it works how can we make things manifest then well we talked about the triangle of manifestation yarn so you've got an object with all three of those 
that are threaded together, which all the person needs is intention behind that. So when you're talking about magic of, oh, it's all about the intention, well, generally it's not all about the intention. But when we talk about things, we talk, well, how can we actually make that the case? How can we annoy Lady Poison and actually create a magical object that all you need to do is hold it and put your intention into it and it actually fucking works? You know, that's when we're talking about slightly more higher levels of magic because we're compensating for individual magical practitioners' lack of experience and knowledge in certain things. There's still there's still that level of um, ability to utilize um, as how effectively they can use that, but essentially they've yeah. got the balanced core there is ready for them to direct at at a intention um, where the the programming's already there for accessing those three core energies um, and have them combined balanced. Um, yeah, so if you've got someone from the mobility shop that struggles to walk and you get them some contraption that counteracts their balance in, you're essentially talking about creating the magical version of that. Yeah, exactly. How would that look for you, personally, in terms of turning that into a product? How would you see that being utilised? Because I've had ideas for things like that. What, but using, in terms of using the, man- taking... the manifestation yarn? Yeah, so using the manifestation yarn, because of course you're talking about creating that in general, but then there's multiple uses that you can even implement that in there. So when I thought of that, I thought about the the old rosary beads that you farm through. Yeah. Well, if you create a magical yarn that you could literally have points that you farm through whilst building your intention, that energizes those three energies... Yeah, and add those to your spell. Mine, that's mine, just one tiny little way yeah. of utilizing it. Mine considered. <laughs> mine went a little bit more creative, but that's only because that my brain goes off on tangents, as you well know. Yeah. Uh, decoratively speaking, um. So yeah, but I kind of thought as my first thought is always um kind of those hair wraps. Um, but the part of that that has in mind is. There's this story of uh, or mythology based around certain priestesses of Isis, for example, who used to have beads in their hair or wigs Uh. that they could twizzle for uh, manipulating the weather. Yeah. Um, So those are the sorts of things I think of or like, you know, weaving them into a little bracelet um, or, um, you know, maybe a piece of lace that's then a decorative part on a garment that you wear for a specific manifestational purpose. So, you know, it could be that favourite lucky dress that you always wear. You want to be noticed and then therefore you put this just tiny bit of, of lace work just uh, just above your cleavage or something, I don't know, um, that will mean that you will always be noticed. Um, like, yeah, so you know me, I quite like an Aegis or something like that, a protective garment. Um, so yeah, I think it's those, those sorts of things I'd kind of go off on a tangent on, but I imagine you expected all of those. Well, it it upsets (laughs) me. The thing is, it does upset me because I think 
but mythology and folklore and even religion and all these things, even nowadays sci-fi for crying out loud and superheroes and all that crap. I know they might all just be a rip-off of older stories, but that's besides the point. They all contain these magical objects, but why aren't anyone making them? Why aren't witches today making these things? Why are they just relying on the Llewellyn book to say, well, use this magic square, just use that. That's what the old cunning yeah. folk used to do. Just use this. You just, just use rosemary for everything. All you need. <laughs> exactly. I don't understand why witches, bearing in mind witchcraft, the craft of crafts. Yeah. Exactly. Why is there no craft? Why aren't people making these things and using them? When did that stop? <laughs> um, it stopped when, I suppose, capitalism really took off. Because you just buy something in. You stop thinking about how to combine or actually uh, perfect anything because you just buy some, you ask somebody to create the perfect thing for you rather than making it yourself and I suppose that's where you lose the crafting is oh why would I spend time doing it when I can just buy it do you think that well what, what sort of time are you putting that on because I'm wondering if that's really the case because I, I can understand from the perspective oh well, I'll just buy it in but then that's capitalism isn't it you've got smart witches and that out there which say oh well i can design that and loads of people will buy it and we've had conversations with people to say well i really want to buy that um riveted cauldron or something but why aren't there people out there doing it is it the fall of the mystery schools is it that Maybe actually one way to the knowledge it. was kate was kept to be able to create these magical objects and that actually they were kept and guarded and then as they disintegrated no one really had the, the ability to repair them or replace them <laughs> so magic just devolved through the medieval period or the roman period onwards maybe um, that actually is now people just clinging to your magic square because old lady Cranach, who's the cunning wise okay. woman round the corner so are we basically blaming that. the age of pisces is that what we're saying that I'm wondering if that, well, I don't know, would you agree with that? I mean, it feels, it feels kind of, there's a nerve there that does make me feel like, well, what about how it was before? We had these things before. Yeah. And just like utilising and seeing objects that have been made from, you know, more modern times. So I say 2,000 years to 1,000 years. All these ceremonial things that are used in religion, some of them retain a bit of a charge, but there's no real magical... There's just an object that's been created with a bit of love, but no real magic infused from the creation. No. You no. know? It's clearly a craftsperson that's made that ceremonial sword, but they've not done it from a magical perspective. They haven't forged it with magic as well that you do really see in the ancient world no they don't have the same resonance at all do they no yeah maybe you are right maybe it is that as the uh, mystery schools became more of a mystery that that kind of disappeared <laughs> um it's not obviously lost because it's still there no. it's just very well hidden um but then I don't know, is is part of it, 
I don't know, is it arriving back at the moment? As there are certain groups of magical practitioners, obviously they're, for, you know, far, far apart. Um, are they I trying don't think to, it's a, are they trying to get that I back? But I find I it goes down a kind of, back. it kind of goes through a reconstructionalist kind of approach yes, rather than actually finding the answer. Um, and that yeah. tends to be what happens, I think, more than anything, is that people are like, oh, well, we're looking at these pieces and that suggests this. Um, but is that because they don't trust it more than anything? Because I feel that's often the case, is where people want want it backed up by some kind of historical evidence to allow them to believe that they are following the right path. Is it that stabilisers kind of feeling of... Let's not just go, you know, both feet in um, and just go for it and find out or not find out. It may completely fail um, and actually going, oh, well, a safer option would be to follow the lineage of this ancestral work. I don't know. Am I going off the off the peg there? I think that a lot of real true uh, higher magical knowledge was kept but watered down and kept going through traditional things like traditional witchcraft where actually there's some magical practice there but there's too much of a speciality in reliance on doing things one way and yeah. that there's not really so much the creativity at a higher level i don't think these come back yet for the reasons that you've kind of said where it's basically a case of well we've got to look to the past in order to relearn all this stuff when in reality, just access. You're it. not going to learn that. Well, you're not going to learn that, are you? No. You're not going to learn it from archaeological research. You're going to learn it by doing what, basically, learning it how they originally learned how to do it. That's what you need to do. You need to stop caring about how things used to be done, and start caring about how you're going to push what little things that you have currently beyond. And I don't think it's quite back yet. I don't think it's back yet. I don't know if I'd say it's coming back. I think they will come back. Yeah. But I don't think it's at the stage where you're going to really, the everyday practitioner is going to be able to see it. No. I think, and I think that's going to be the case for a while yet. Um, just because, I, one, I just don't think there's enough confidence there for a lot of it. Um you know, not everybody has the abundance of confidence that we do when it comes to the work we do. But then a lot of that comes with the fact that we remember how it was used and therefore have the kind of insider knowledge for it. Whereas with somebody that's going purely on faith, I guess, to for la again, for lack of a better word, someone that's going on purely on faith that they will be able to do this by this combination. Um lots of people want that kind of even you know a decent cook still likes to flick through uh, a cookbook to inspire ideas you know what i mean yeah so rather than actually just kind of going i'm going to see what's in the cupboard and see what happens um which is the sort of cooking i would do is just open the cupboards what's in there oh well we can do this um whereas somebody will kind of go oh well i want to i'm going to thumb through a couple of recipe books and come up with something new and I'll go and buy the things I've not got 
Mm. And that's kind of the approach that I think most people have got nowadays, which is, you know, what's left behind by people like, I don't know, Agrippa or whatever. It's there as a kind of recipe book to refer to as a as a spark of idea. Or am I being unfair? I don't know. I mean, if you're looking at Agrippa and Agrippa's work, it was essentially a reformation of Western magical practice. It's a case of, right, everything's a bit disjointed. I'm going to put everything down in a book and try my best to create a magical foundation. The problem is, is that, yes, there's a lot of that that did get infused into Western magic, but they've all just copy and pasted him and updated the language. There's no real outside of you know secret practices is not out in the open there's no progress been made i think i'd say another thing i'd say is that nowadays we utilize it's all about the iconic tools and that actually if you were to get someone to pick between a one-off original crafted object made by a serious magical practitioner that has otherworldly power and something that looks like you'd see on television because it's a cauldron and everyone's got that they'd pick the thing that everyone's got i don't see special i mean how many traditional witches do we see that utilize uh, um stank yeah how many how many symbols do we see as magical wit- of, of witchcraft and magic as okay our practice revolves around and i don't mean to say it in a funny way in that we know that some of these traditional witches actually revolve around jumping and dancing around these things but <laughs> revolve around iconic tools and i get that some iconic tools are practical knives and such like that are practical but a large practical but a large part of it is about getting them in the zone isn't it that's what it comes down to and actually by seeing that piece they automatically are programmed to think i'm about to do something profound or at least profound for them so kind of like you know is that kind of set programming of okay stang's there so now we're in we're in the zone let's go whereas you know I wake up and I have a cup of tea and I'm in the mood. Let's go. Like. Yeah, but at the same time, how many witches do you see that will say, okay, I'm learning from this coven. This coven uses a stang. What are we going to use instead of we need to get a stang? Yeah. They're doing that. What are we going to do? What do we use? That's why a lot of magical in coven work and stuff like that where you see covens they a lot of the time they use the same instruments do the same things and i wonder if it's because i know partly it's because well they get magic because a lot of people obviously aren't uh, coming from the situation whereby they've had magic all their life they might be coming to it and learning it from the absolute beginning yeah but they're coming from it from a, I need to understand how the rules work and how things actually work. And I might tinker around after I've done that. I get that. But at the same time, at what point do you say, well, no, I ain't going to put my mark on this. This is my work. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to use the tools that I want to use. You don't really see it. Unless, I, I just unless you're one of my students. Very often. <laughs> Well, yeah, obviously, if you've got someone that's very creative and you encourage that, 
But the thing is, you might encourage that by saying, well, I'm not going to tell you. You've got to create an object yourself. You can't copy mine. Yeah. You know? That's the sort of thing that you'd you'd say to someone, whereas exactly. your average person, that your average mentor would say, well, you need to get yourself one of these, or if you want to get one of these, or it's a rite of passage to get this. Yes. You know? Yes. There's a lot of that within traditions, isn't there? Which I wonder if that stops some of the creativity. I mean, if you was to say... I'm, I'm not talking about designing a magical system or a coven or anything or a magical tradition. But imagine if you had a magical tradition, which was, right, you've mastered this principle. Now display it in the form of a piece, an object. Yeah. And it's kind of like, like when you've got, you know, that film Inception and they've got their little totems. Yes. Well, not everyone has a spinning top. Everyone's got a different thing. Yeah. That means something to them. But that works as you know that specific magical object so yeah. what there isn't that though is there and it really annoys no, me no i think that's why I, I make it i kind of make it my mission with any mentee of mine that it is as intuitive as possible um, yeah. it does mean that obviously it can take some very strange turns and not particularly seem as structured as if they were to be taught by you um but to be honest, I find that the the mentees that are like that approach are the ones that are that find their way to me. Um, well, that's how the universe works. So that, you know, there are so, laws, some hermetic law to do with that. <laughs> so law of attraction, you know, so it? I don't have to worry about know. it myself. It doesn't mean that I can't teach your method. I just feel that your method's you know less natural to me. I guess. You know, I can quite easily put a, a a curriculum together, but at the end of the mm. day, the the methodology that's there, we've totally gone off on some random tangent now. This is no longer about planetary magic, I don't think. Well, bring it back to planetary magic and textiles, because we've we've gone a little over the hour, but I'm sure they won't mind. It's on the Patreon; they're probably mm. still listening. So, what do you want to end on? Do you want to talk about your other triangles? <laughs> Is that too complicated? We can do, but you're not going to... Okay, we'll try and approach it. And we'll do you want to do it an hour and a half? Yeah. We've got another 15 minutes. 15 minutes, that's it. That's all you're getting. Okay. Um, okay, so if we move on up, up the tree, should we say, from... from if you the... look at the podcast artwork for this on the No Holds Barred Witchcraft secret Facebook group, you'll see the tree of life on there. You'll see that I've drawn the lower triangle, but see if you can spot some of the other triangles that we're actually talking about okay. now in terms of trios. Now, why are you choosing triangle triangles? Is it because it's the strongest shape geometrically <laughs> and it's balanced? It's... And is it an equilateral triangle or is it an isosceles triangle? <laughs> <laughs> equilateral for me, personally. Because we like those triangles to be balanced. Its wings Is need to be balanced. Is that your favourite triangle? Uh, well, I don't. I don't know. But you t you're taking us off the off the tree again. I am. You're right. I am. Stop it. <laughs> um, right. So I, then move up. I like I like trios. I like I like groupings of three. So I don't I don't mind three sixes nines. You know, keep keep on the multiples. I like multiples of three. Um, mainly because I think I don't like, 
I don't like polars. I like there to be a mediator. Is that a fair comment to make? Yeah, I can I can understand. I mean, geometrically speaking and in mathematics, free and um, triangles are strong shapes particularly, and there's balance. And you see that in mythology and stories as well. You've yeah. got the charmed ones and all that, because, of course, that's the pinnacle of mythology. Um, you've <laughs> always got the three or four people, and the fourth is normally lost or someone they're trying to save or someone that's died that they need to yes. avenge, that kind of thing. Yes. Three is a magical number. Um, and, of course, trinities and holy shit. Um, so, yeah, so basically, in terms of stabilising the energies that you're utilising, you're picking free energies. We did our triangle of manifestation based on how manifestation often works. So what's your next one and what's it going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I think, collectively decided that we're calling this one because I can't find it anywhere. And I looked. I really, really looked. Uh, it's clearly a concept people have not looked at um, or are not talking about it. So it's not it's not in any of the old school things. Uh, whether or not they were able to comprehend beyond this, I don't know. So maybe that's the issue. Um, or they're holding back on people, maybe, is more likely. Um, but yeah, so we're going to call the next triangle, triangle of, uh, did we decide perfection? Triangle of perfection, I said. But that's yeah. what I've always called it. And I don't know if I made that up or whether that's an actual thing. I imagine you probably made it up. Um, or by Possibly. that, It'll you be remember in one it of my from old a long, channeled long time books. ago. It'll yeah. be in one of my old channeled books, I expect. So, so, yeah, so I quite like that next one. So for that, if you were looking at the tree, move up, it's your next three. So that's uh, Mars, Jupiter and, and Sol or Solar. Um and Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> um, and that is that kind of balance of, you know, destructive with creative, you know, creation. And then there's pure energy of of soul. So to me, it would be a case of, yes, it's that kind of leading energy of the balance of the other two. Um, this this to me would be creation beyond uh, manifestation. So another word I would probably triangle I would probably call it is a, a a triangle of creation, and by that I mean kind of building or destructing. So that kind of um, core, yeah. What do you world building is what I would call that. So rather than just pure manifestation within within an existing comprehending world, you're now starting to look at perfecting or creating something new um or influencing something already established would that be fair well take it from a builder i used to do a lot of building and renovation works you need to smash down the house before you're going to make another one so with mars does the smashing jupiter does the building and the sun is essentially the perfect idea the perfect form artwork to take that the two of those channel into essentially um yeah i i'd say a lot of people struggle with polarities though don't they because they yeah. would say well mars surely the opposite of mars is venus well actually if you look at the tree it shows that if you go downwards the opposite is venus but if you go across the opposite is jupiter so it is literally 
destruction creation, anabolic and catatonic. Yeah, so the perfect healing remedy, for example, um, for something, say, you've got a, you've got athlete's foot. So I, uh, I would use something like tea tree as the Mars destructive. And then obviously, because you want to kill whatever's there, the kind of bacterial kind of infection going on, you want to kill it. Um, that requires the destruction. Um, but then you need to balance that back out for the healing, for it to grow back, the regrowth, the um, the regeneration of cell, in, encourage that. So you'd balance that with something like lavender that naturally is going to uh, force your body to regenerate. So was that a nice example? Did you like that? Well, you're talking about utilising uh, magical lore in order to teach people how to formulate potions now this isn't a potion class we're getting too advanced now that's another podcast we'll have okay. to do but i just wanted to demonstrate what we mean by destruction and uh, just in case the uh, the knocking down renovating a house wasn't a good enough example so yeah so that's then that's then this um triangle of perfection i didn't want to call it the triangle of creation just because i think that complicates the matter and they're kind of like manifestation yeah, and creation's too similar. So, yeah, I think perfection makes the right sense. And then if you push past it in, into the top triangle, um, I won't complicate oh, matters God, by doing my inverting. Well, wait a minute. Now, invert it first, because that's probably more simple to understand if you're inverting. If you're if you're replacing Sol or the Sun with Saturn, is what you said before, because obviously yes. if Sol's very expanding, the Sun expands in creation, and Saturn's like, no, that's it, you're confined to this space. That yeah. does a complete opposite, doesn't it? So, yeah, so <laughs> that one, but this one I probably wouldn't release to the public. <laughs> oh, Okay. That's all I'm right, not, then. I'm not sure they would be trusted with it, but essentially, it's yeah, probably for I, the talked, best. I talked about inverting it, didn't I, in order to create a kind of uh, supreme binding or a what did we decide? Basically, sw swapping the sun for Saturn. The Saturn and creating a, a triangle of what did we call it in the end? Superiority, was it? I don't know. Wasn't that the top one? The top one was the triangle of superiority. Superiority. Was it? I don't know. We, if we write it down, we'll see if we can write it down somewhere. So that, but yeah, no, su it. the superior Explains triangle it. would probably be the top one, wouldn't it? I think because that was the Trinity one. So no, the but our argument, our argument, creation was or something that we were talking about limitation, and obviously we then said, well, actually, that's not the only way that that could be used. It's actually more likely to be a superiority thing, which is that you could push something. Um, either limiting it or unlimiting it by the use of Saturn. Um, but that might be enough to blow a couple of people's minds. So we'll move on. Um, no, the well, last Let me triangle. explain it super quickly then. Okay. okay. So imagine you are a child and you're with another child in the nursery and there's all these building blocks and you want to play this game, and you need the best building block. So what you decide to do is you pick the destructive building block. You also pick the um, limitation and death building block, and then you pick the building building block. So you own all of those building blocks, and you can use them. Arguably some of the most powerful blocks, if anyone was to want them, 
they're going to be your destructive force, Mars, you're they're going to be your constructive force, Jupiter, and they're going to be your limitation force and end death force. So if you imagine all of those forces are working in your favour for whatever magic you're using, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Because you could stop someone's power, you know, whether it's gods and goddesses and limit them, I often do, with just Saturn alone. But if you want to kick it up a notch and show off, because it is just showing off at the end of the day, it's not necessary, then you're going to utilise the power of Mars and the power of, you know, construction as well and have all of that add to your favour. I think it's just showing off. I mean, you call it the triangle of perfection. That one I can understand. But this one, triangle of domination would probably be a better, uh, a more apt Okay, for it. I will put that one down. We'll call it, we'll call it okay. that. Okay, you've come up with a better answer. Well done. Yeah, domination would probably be a better... Yes, let, let, let's call it that. That sounds more like where my brain was going with it, so it's fair. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> right, final triangle then. Um, we were go. I think we eventually decided we were just going to call it the divine triangle, I think, weren't we? Oh, yeah, that's it. The top one. The top one, which would be Saturn, Neptune and Uranus. Um, or Uranus, however you want to pronounce it. Um, in which case, I think you were putting, you know, would be all that power of uh, time and limitation, transformation of Saturn. Uh, you've got Neptune there, with, which is essentially what uh, a sit-in for the whole of the, uh, the Zodiac. Um, Manifest um, creation of an idea, because obviously, where is your idea before you have your idea? Well, your idea before you have your idea is technically in Uranus, but as soon as you have that <laughs> idea, it's then in Neptune, that yeah. sea of ideas. And then after you've had that idea, because it's an idea, you can obviously kill it because it's an actual thing now. <laughs> Therefore, Saturn obviously yeah. comes in. So there we go. Why don't you have a think about that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, essentially at that point you're talking about a triangle which is creation of of you you know I <laughs> creation of universes plural. Um, you could call it the triangle of intellectual property <laughs> that you're essentially patenting and constricting an idea. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, essentially, yes. And then you you came up with this idea of, okay, and then if we combine those three trios. Yeah, so you've created a magical yarn with the, the bottom three together. You've created a magical yarn with the other three together. So the a perfection one. So um, Mars, Jupiter and Sol, the sun. And then you've also got the divine one at the top. And then obviously you've got three of those. So you could turn those three into another yarn that would be basically would have everything, wouldn't it? And would be a master cord. A master cord, which you could give as initiation when you become a master. If you had a secret society tradition, because we all know that we do love to give out gifts and such to people that have certain grades, don't they, in the magical lodges and things. I think old uh, Lady Poison gives out cords, doesn't she, on initiation? I wonder if she's ever seen a master cord, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm sure she'd like one. 
does the in top trump does your planetary master chord trump the um traditional witches chord oh that's that's controversial <laughs> now we have to be more careful now because she's you know watching well she's always watching isn't she yeah but now she's listening too <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, so that was that was the crazy idea of the week, um, of pushing something to its next nth degree. Um, what I would, <laughs> what I've got to master first is creating these Neptune and Uranus um, yarns to begin with, because that That's is a, be the difficult bit. Yeah, capturing that in a yarn, I I don't know is whether or not that is brave or stupid. I'm not sure. Um, so we'll get you know we'll have to come back to you if that ever happens at the moment the master might need chord to use is an a intermediary yeah you might want to use an intermediary for that because otherwise you there's no way you're not going to be able to put yourself in that you'll end up putting some of yourself in. yeah so you're gonna have to do something so we may i may have to yeah an intermediary might actually be the only way to do that to be honest uh, one because I'd also yeah, like sub it out. I'd also like <laughs> I'd also like my uh, my spinning wheel to actually be able to be functional after it's done. Um, yeah. So or maybe I or maybe I have to have a a special spinning wheel made for me in order to actually do it. We'll see. Well, you might need a disposable spinning wheel, like you have those disposable cock rings you just throw away when the battery's finished. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's I think that's one that I've still got a lot of work to do on uh, before that master chord is coming anywhere near. Um, but yeah, I've I've got two other triangles to try out though. In the meantime, sounds brilliant. Well, technically three if you're going to inverse. Um... Yeah, if you're going to inverse the sun with Saturn, you'd have three. But I can't believe it. We've been chatting for an hour and a half. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, of course, as ever, if you want to name an episode, then just send us a message with the episode name, and we'll talk a load of random crap like we normally do.